It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. Today is Sunday, January 17th, 2016. This is Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio, and I am Larry H. Russell. Today's show is being brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and TickIQ, and it will feature Kristen Ledlow of NBA TV. Kristen is the co-host of NBA Inside Stuff alongside Grant Hill every Saturdays on NBA TV at 6.30 p.m. Eastern Time. It is her first appearance on this podcast. That is coming up a little bit later. Also, many of our listeners do know Comcast Sports Net is airing a series on the 1986 Boston Celtics. So we will get Skip Parham over from the network to talk about that and to give some valuable information to our audience who may not get CSNNE in their market. Find out how you can catch the series. This is our 140th edition of Celtics Beat being powered by CLNS Radio. Available on the usuals, iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, and SoundCloud. Let's get Right to the show, shall we? The Celtics, after what was a god-awful stretch of wretched basketball for nearly two weeks, which felt like two months, they have righted the ship to an extent after losing four in a row in seven of eight. They've now notched three straight wins, including a thriller last night, 119-117. Jay Crowder with that game-winning bucket late in the game. They're scoring a lot of points lately, but how about this? The Boston Celtics have finally won a game. Yes, yesterday, January 16th, 2016, the first game all year they have won where they did not hold a double-digit lead in. Yay! I've been lamenting in recent weeks why this team seems to not full up shot, but boy, the offense goes, I hate using this word, goes pretty stagnant. Uh, It flows a lot less in some of those later moments. They are easily taken out of their offense in 10 situations in my eyes. I actually think that prior stat mentioned by Brian Scalabrini on last week's show was a good way to point that out. But that fourth quarter last night, that was the first time all year where I saw that ball moving as if as the way it should have been. Got some open threes, got some open shots. Avery Bradley hitting that big three-pointer last night. Got to the foul line. Thank God. That's the most important. Finally, they were a little bit aggressive. Got to the foul line, made their free throws. Last night, That was a real, I guess you can say it was a small step forward. I hate pinpointing anything upon one game or even a stretch of games because obviously that's something you like to see over the course of time. In one game, you can easily chalk it up as a fluke, but hey, you've got to start somewhere, and maybe last night could be that singular game. You certainly cannot criticize it, that's for sure. Even taking the win at face value, that being your third straight win against a team that has talent on paper, be the Wizards, had won four games in a row on the second night of a back-to-back, yada, yada, yada. But yeah, feel a little bit different about this team now than on this show as opposed to last week. Or heck, even going into Wednesday's game against the Pacers, for goodness sake. Never do I want to be the one that gets tied up in labeling games in January as huge games. But suffice to say that nationally televised Pacers game back on Wednesday qualified as that because things seem to really be coming unglued there with not just the fourth straight losses, but how bad... They were playing. Chemistry-wise, things looked like they were a mess. And all of what our fears were over the offseason, particularly my fears with regards to the rotation, with regards to the fact that none of these players throughout the roster had done a damn thing to separate themselves. One iota. Guys getting hurt. Guys just in and out of different slots of where they play. David Lee coming in here, being a focal point of the offense in the preseason, to now being utilized as a doorstop. Things were not good this past Wednesday at around 9.52 p.m. Eastern Time. Then a couple of, I, I don't know what the hell that was, a franchise noted for famous steals in history. Of course, we will forget about all those steals in about a week, but we never forget about Havlicek's steal or Bird's steal. 
But it hasn't been a week yet. It's been a few days, so we won't on this week's show. We will not forget about those late game plays. But Celtics, once again, hate using it. Kind of needed, not definitely needed, kind of needed to get that W over a decent Pacers team. A decent Pacers team. I think that's how you can describe virtually every team in the Eastern Conference, right, as a quote-unquote decent team. But it was a great win. It was a great win, especially, especially when they overcame such adversity, winning that game, having to deal with the burden of wearing those trash bags they call uniforms that they wore on Wednesday. God, I mean, those things, I'm sorry, they are just heinous. But back to the Celtics here for the first time. In a while, I was really believing that this season could spiral out of control, which would not have been good when you consider the long-term goals of what this franchise wants to accomplish, the culture. So seemingly don't want to say everything is smooth sailing after three straight wins, but at the same time, it does look as if this team has avoided sliding off the rails because I'm not going to lie, even as I, I do everything in my power to look at the big picture, I really felt things did not feel right as they were on that stretch where they had lost 7 of 8. I know, as Chris Wallace, general manager of the Memphis Grizzlies, said on last week's show, and if you want to listen to Chris, check out our archives on iTunes, Stitcher, Google Play, or SoundCloud, and give us a subscribe so you do not miss a show. As Chris said, all teams have peaks and valleys, and you can never carve out brief sections of the season and use that as a barometer of where the team is at. But I... Boy, did it feel from the outside that it did seem as if it was coming unglued. And if they were a few losses away, you'd hear more and more of the veterans take their frustrations public. They've already had at certain points this season, as we all know, Jay Crowder off the Orlando game, a few other as well during the bad stretch. And had that happened, this really could have gotten out of hand, but it hasn't. It hasn't whatsoever. These last three games went about as perfect as any fan or player or anyone within his organization could script. Do have to credit Brad Stevens for that. There have been times it has looked as if this thing could spiral out of control over the, as I mentioned, not just this season, but over the last 12 months. You can go back to last year as well. But they've always been able to get a key win, be it that Pacers game, and then, of course, going on these last two, finally really taking care of business at home by putting a whooping on that Suns team on Friday. And then last night's real clutch win. I tell you, we'd feel a lot different this morning or whenever you are listening to this show later this week, had they gotten those two wins at home. But if they gave it right back last night, I know it was a good team that they were playing on a back-to-back, but if had they lost the game in the same manner, they've dropped so many of these games, another close game, I mean, it would have bothersome, but it's not. It's not. But I tell you, is it just me? Because I think it has been a very peculiar season thus far. I think that's an accurate word to use. Peculiar in that, as I've said on prior shows, when they go on some stretches where they snag some wins at earlier, as they have in, you know, recently, and actually more so at earlier points in the season, I was wondering how much they were accomplishing because they were doing it in such an unorthodox way without still having not just a set rotation, but a formula that works for them. And that one can say that's really hindering the team from enhancing chemistry, let alone how much it hurts it when there's seemingly bad apples on this team, which I think you could safely say that there are still some right now. But as stated, the word I'm using, peculiar, peculiar how they've been able to sort of fight the win with cardboard sales here and not let this season fall apart because everything would point to that being a net result. Let's say we go back before the season, and I told you all the following things. No one on this roster would make a substantial enough improvement. I'm, okay, I know guys like Kelly Olenek, Jay Crowder, uh, they've been bet- a little better this year, but it wasn't like noticeable in the eyes around the league. Let's say there's really no individual improvement. Avery Bradley, he's, he's been the guy, but minimal individual improvement. No contributions whatsoever from the rookies. Nothing from the offseason acquisitions. Amir Johnson, what, come see, come saw. Jared Sullinger, yes, good, nice little game last night, but Jared Sullinger regressing throughout the season. Brad Stevens not having a rotation. No one really separating themselves to help Brad sort things out. All of that, literally everything that I pissed and moaned about in July and August on this show, all that comes true. Where would you think this team would be right now? 10 games under 500? Sort of where they were at this time last year, where they were talking like I think 12 games under 500 and, and we were all looking forward to another top six pick in the draft all that has come true and I would have said yes yeah I would I would have said yes this team would be 10 some games under 500 but they're not 
And I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. It's a good in that despite all that, they have the record that they have. But it's bad, particularly if you care more about the progression of the franchise and the day-in and day-out nuances of it, which I would advise that should be your outlook of this team and of this season. Once again, it's good. Yes, it is good they still have managed to have this record. And yes, we can credit Stevens for it and some of the players who've had good games. Isaiah Thomas, nice time to mention his name right after the game that he had last night for the first time on this show with 32 points. Thomas Bradley, Crowder, even Olenek to a degree. And then you guys like Sullinger, nice little effort last night. Marcus Smart, who threw a triple-double up Friday night, who have chipped in with singular performances here and there. But it's good and bad. I hate to sound cliche, but that's pretty much, I would say, how you would put it if you want to look at this team halfway through this season. Good that they have the record that they do, despite everything that's happened. But but bad in that you want at least a few of those things to go their way. But hey, maybe odds will point out they helped the Celtics in late May with that Nets pick. Ha ha ha. They did lose last night. Again, good. Thank God. Because I know they got a win earlier in the week. I can't remember who it was against, but I believe they picked one up. Still, those two those two games against the Celtics still bothers me. Anyways, uh, before we mix things up here on the show, because I mentioned Marcus Smart's name, that sort of triggered my mind. I know there's been some discussion in our Facebook group regarding him and frustration directed towards him by some of our fans. If you would like to contribute to such discussion, head on over to Facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. That's Facebook.com slash CelticsBeat. Also, all the tickets. Details coming up. We'll run a little note a little later in the show, but I'm sure most of you do know. Facebook group, some agitation by audience members directed at Smart. Listen, I am more so frustrated and how he struggled to get on the court rather than the bad games he's thrown up here and there because I think that's it's more than fair to say he certainly had some very good performances, such as Friday. But the fact that he keeps getting hurt at a young age is bothersome. I know I've talked about this ad nauseum on recent shows. Now, as opposed to going forward, listen, if he can't stay on the court, this is obviously null and void. But for argument's sake, let's say he does most of the time. I feel pretty good that he will develop into a very valuable piece for these Celtics or for any team. I feel good about him because everyone I've talked to that's close to the team and close to Marcus for that matter, both in private and on this show, his worth ethic is through the roof. So I'd like to think that's going to translate to a guy who will put necessary commitment in off seasons to make deficiencies that he has now, not deficiencies a little later, possibly even strengths, and to supplement that with what he's already got going for him may dedicate further shows to this as I got to wrap this up real quick as I do have a guest patiently waiting here right here right now but all the criticism that can be sent this team's way and I think there are some things that are more than fair game for detractors but if it were me and I I guess it is since uh, I'm hosting this show right now if if it were me I would advise not to dedicate any harshness towards smart I just don't get it. I, if you have you have these same fans that complain to the high heavens why Rick Pitino traded Chauncey Billups after 51 games back in the 97-98 season. And now after 80-some games of Marcus Smart's career, they want Danny Ainge to do the exact same thing Pitino did. Only that now that you know some of the Monday morning armchair quarterbacks will go right back and smother Ainge, be it for this or any other. Well, you know, why didn't Danny do this? Why didn't he draft that guy in this draft? And yet, he, I mean, just the whole psychoanalyzation of sports, which only really happens now in the new information age. But if you just look at the whole thing with the Celtics, which I do, but it is kind of a mixed bag in terms of takes and emotions for that matter in the week of here on January 17, 2016. But if you want some fluff, if you want some positivity regarding the Boston Celtics, I guess you can always reminisce about yonder. And the organization is doing such, actually, commemorating three prior champions as this is their anniversary season. And I know all our audience members knows that over on Comcast Sportsnet New England, they are running a series on the 1986 Celtics team. Want to talk a little about that series and what's going on over at CSNNE. So we will bang out something here first with Skip Parham from the network. Skip is the director of marketing at Comcast Sportsnet New England. Our interview with Skip is brought to you by AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. Is your New Year's resolution, like those of many, to lose the weight and get healthy? Well, you can't do that without a clean diet, and science has now spoken 100% grass-fed certified organic beef is one of the most nutritional options out there. 
LetAmericanFarmersNetwork.com provide the staples to your path to effortless weight loss and optimal health with their array of pasture-raised and certified organic meat. AFN's animals are raised, cared for, ranched, and harvested on small family farms, not corporate-sponsored industrial factories. Do not listen to faux science regarding meat and stop consuming animals that were likely infested with antibiotics, growth hormones, and grain-fed diets. Humane lifestyles for the animal mean an even more healthy lifestyle for you, and that's why AFN's animals ate right so you could too. Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com and begin or continue your journey to peak physical fitness today. Skip. Big program rolling along right now for viewers, not just locally, but throughout the country and the world as well, is the big series on the 1986 Boston Celtics. The Celtics themselves are celebrating commemorative seasons, not just for the 30th anniversary of the 86 Celtics, but also for the 76 and 66 championship seasons as well. But of the 17 championships the Celts have won throughout their illustrious history, there's no question that the 86 season is the most celebrated of them all. So why don't I do the right thing and give you the floor right here and go into detail of what you guys over at Comcast are doing with your series on that team. Yeah, the 86 uh, Celtics series is, is a pretty um, pretty good one for us. And, you know, I'm out of an age where that's really at the wheelhouse for me, particularly it's, it's one of the teams I remember the best. You know, I'm a product of the Larry Bird era. So, uh, you know, I remember when, when Bill Walton had joined the club and how excited you were and, you know, that was in the height of the you know, Celtics-Lakers rivalry and Magic and Kareem and and all those guys. So it added just an exciting element to it, you know, the the addition of Walton and and the thought that they could be, uh, you know, they could, they could get back to the finals and win it. And for that reason, you know, it's obviously the anniversary of the, that team. And, you know, it's easy. Uh, it's not easy content, but it's exciting content for the Celtics fan. You know, a lot of our viewers are of, of that age. They remember that team, and many people think about it as, you know, perhaps the best Celtics team ever, maybe one of the best NBA teams ever, that argument. So there's a lot of good stories to tell, and we're going to tell it. We're two weeks into it, and we're going to do it over uh, the next 12 weeks. I think it pretty much extends all the way through the final April 13th is the last episode, um, and we're debuting them in Celtics pregame live, and then we're putting them up on our website at csnne.com. So it's, it's great stuff, a lot of good, good uh, stories to tell. The fact that it is available for Celtics and NBA fans in general on CSNE.com slash 86Celtics is very important, not just because the audience of the Celtics Beat podcast, we have a tremendous international following, but the Celtics organization itself has a colossal following outside the region. And because they're outside the region, obviously it goes without saying, they may not be getting CSNE in their TV package. So you guys over at Comcast are doing a tremendous service by having such an enhanced online content at CSNE.com for Celtics fans. That documentary, it's telling the story of how great that Celtics team was. And I think they are arguably the best single season team in NBA history and unarguably no worse than top three. Short of sharing the holy trinity of great single-season teams like the 72-win Bulls in 96 and that 1987 Lakers team that picked up Michael Thompson at the deadline that year, that's your top three. No apologies to any of the Philadelphia teams in 1967 and 1983 when they grabbed Moses in that offseason. But what else is this series that will air all season on the Celtics pregame live trying to accomplish besides tell the story of the greatness of that season? maybe delve into the mindset and the culture surrounding that team in the city of Boston that in that very interesting time? Yeah, I think ultimately for us as a part of the, you know, the NBC family and, you know, NBC is synonymous for, for great storytelling. You know, they've obviously done, they've turned over the Olympics here for, for quite a long time. And, and, and that's part of the DNA of the organization. And, and I don't want to say that we didn't tell stories before, you know, before we were purchased by Comcast and before we, you know, you know, bought NBC. But, look, we have the ability to do that. We have the ability to tell stories. We have a lot of content time to fill. And, um, you know, we've got, uh, we've got a targeted audience of Celtics fans. So I don't, really don't think there's anyone better to tell that story. And, you know, you've got, a, you've got an anniversary. So, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a great opportunity. And, um for who our viewer is on average, you know, the average 
Comcast Sportsnet viewer, they're right of that age. You know, again, they're they remember '86 and '82 and um, '84 and '81. Eighty-one, yes. I was chewing that on my own head. I'm like eighty-two. That's not right. Yeah, eighty-one, eighty-four, and eighty-six. So it's easy. You know, it's it's a good good story to tell. And and like I said, there are so many different storylines within that. And I think you know, in some ways, you know, are there some parallels? I'm not saying this team is is championship level because clearly it's not the current team. But when you think about how red built that starting five, and now you think about what Danny is doing and the draft picks he has, and we don't know where those are going to go, but hey, you really say, wow, um, he really took the Nets to the cleaners, and we've seen what's happened at the Nets over the last couple of, uh, the last week. You know, ultimately people have been affected uh, by that trade and a negative uh, standpoint over there. So, do the Celtics end up in the same place? We all hope they do. You know, they're not there right now, but so it's kind of, it's kind of perfectly timed. There's an anniversary and, and hopefully there's some good parallels we can draw with where the Celtics immediate future is going to be. Yeah. The historical parallel has always been used to compare that Nets trade. No one else has brought it up. So I guess I can say, ha ha, I called it. But if this end up does netting the Celtics, a gold mine of draft choices down the line over these next three years, you could say that was sort of Danny Ainge's Herschel Walker trade, if you remember the old trade that the Dallas Cowboys made with Minnesota Vikings, and that eventually built their dynasty. But maybe it doesn't do that for the Celtics, and it's just sort of a good trade that just sort of is, is washed along the way. Last question on this aspect before we move on to some of the content that Com- uh, Comcast is going to be looking forward to in the future. Personal question, probably the most enjoyable one you'll get of this whole interview. Do you think that 86 Celtics team, I guess I probably know your answer, but I'll ask anyways. Do you think that team was the best single-season team in NBA history? For my money, yeah. But, yeah, I'm completely biased. And, you know, what I remember about those teams in the 80s, and it's not really just the Celtics, I think it's that era, is, you know, the Celtics could beat you from outside or they could go down low inside. You know, I, I have a I have a 15-year-old daughter who plays basketball. She plays the four and the five. And, and I once showed her just a YouTube reel of, of, of Kevin McHale, who's, who's my favorite player of all time. And, you know, you look at that reel and it's the same move over and over again, you know, rotating on that pivot foot. And I just think those teams, the Celtics teams of those days, the Lakers teams, they could break you down any way they wanted. If they needed to shoot from outside, they could do it. If they needed to go down low, they could. I'm not convinced that every NBA team of, uh, you know, of recent eras has that same versatility. Uh, you know, everybody likes the Warriors. They're obviously killing it, and they could kill it from a range uh, much deeper than I think anyone in the Celtics could shoot. But could they really, if they needed to live down low, uh, for a series, for a game, could they really get it done on a consistent basis? I'm not sure. I really think the Celtics of those 80s, those 80s teams could. You know, whatever way they needed to do it, they'd get it done. Yeah, obviously Comcast, Sportsnet, Brian Scalabrini was on last week's show, and he brought up a pretty good point before I obviously want to move on, is how the, new, is how the NBA is now structured financially where teams – can sort of load up now, at least going forward, especially when the new television money comes in. Teams can load up now where for the longest of time, for a good 20 years, they couldn't the same way those Celtics and Lakers teams did. The Celtics getting Walton in 86 seemed pretty much unfair, especially when Walton was able to be pretty, was healthy for that entire season. And a similar comparison was when the Lakers traded uh, a bag of donuts for Michael Thompson in the middle of the 1987 season, and that really propelled them not just to that championship, but they, people forget, they steamrolled the NBA from when they got Thompson, really through all the way the following year. I think Magic Johnson went down with a hamstring injury midway through that 88 season, but they were they were killing it. They were destroying teams. And that just, you really didn't see that in the NBA for a good 20, even 25 years of teams that had three superstars three all-time greats like the Celtics and the Lakers had in the mid-'80s, mm-hmm. and then we're still still had enough, still were deep enough. Usually you've seen like teams like Miami that are very top-heavy. They have LeBron, they have Wade, and then after that it's 10, 11 other guys named Fred. Celtics and the Lakers in the 80s obviously were, could go 8, 9 deep. They had former All-Stars like Scott Wedman or Bob McAdoo on their bench, Walton and whatnot. 
I think going forward, especially as you see how deep Golden State is, and I had Jim Barnett on the show, and I told him sort of the same thing, is Golden State is the deepest champion. And I specifically told him, I thought Golden State last year, and now, of course, coming into this year, that was the deepest championship roster I had seen in the NBA in my lifetime and certainly going all the way back to the 1980s. Mm-hmm. So it's going to be interesting, I think, going forward with the new salary structure if you're going to see these super teams again. NBA was really trying to move away from that with the new CBA, but it looks like that's the, the direction they're going And if front offices can make the right moves like Golden State's making. Good front offices making the right new moves. Comcast, they are now streaming content. They have been streaming Celtics games for the last two years. I've always been a fan of streaming. I think it's a far more efficient way to watch sports or really much watch anything. You can watch it on your time as opposed to me because I I'm I'm an early I go to bed very early. I hit that futon mattress <laughs> at seven o'clock. Yeah. So to give you I, yeah I do I watch you guys. I actually still watch the replays on the exercise bike down the gym at very early early morning hours. You want to ask for you? Don't want to ask that early, but once again I sort of give you the, the floor on streaming com, uh, content on Comcast Sportsnet New England. Well, I mean, streaming is very, very important. And, look, we we live in an environment where there are a lot of disruptive forces out there. And uh, as a company, Comcast and NBC Universal, really, I think, been at the forefront of the idea that, you know, TV everywhere, if if you're paying for for cable television, which we know is, you know, the the costs are there, um, and it's a cost that, you know, people could be concerned about, you're paying for it. You're paying for that subscription, uh, you know, a level of service that's going to net you Comcast Sportsnet, then you should be able to take that wherever you want to go on whatever device. So if you're a road warrior and you're Chicago on a business trip and the Celtics are playing the Warriors and you want to watch it and, you know, you've got a home subscription, you should be able to watch it. And hopefully you are watching it on your your tablet or your phone. Um, and we believe in that. So, you know, it has started with the, the Celtics content, and I think ultimately, you know, we'd like all of our content to migrate um, in that area and the ability to watch it wherever, whenever you want. We're, we're not there yet because there are a lot of, you know, business side forces that you need to wade through. But it's hugely important, and I think it's hugely important to us as a programmer, but also to an industry, you know, to the industry as a whole. How about a little Moore's Law prediction? Whenever you talk to somebody, you say, how long is it going to take till self-driving cars are on the road? And people <laughs> guess, I mean, between five to seven years. What about streaming sports? How long do you think it'll be to win pretty much almost not just your favorite shows or little YouTube clips, but to where we are actually watching sporting events, almost everything delivered via broadband, and mm-hmm. also at times of anyone's leisure as opposed to, you know, everybody gets in front of the TV versus for a 7.30 tip or a 1 o'clock football game or whatever. Well, that is the big, I guess, the, the really big question. Because you know it is coming, I think. Well, well look, but, you know, as I said, TV everywhere is, is, is extremely important. And I think there will be a day when, when our content and, and perhaps every channel's content is available 24-7. Not 24-7, but yeah, but just streamed. So if you want to watch it on your laptop, you watch it on your laptop. If you want to watch it on your high-definition television, you watch it on your high-definition television. Um, I, what I will say is I don't know if we're convinced that the consumer wants or, or really desires to time-shift the game like you do. You get up at 7, you watch the replay. I think you know the the the, the lion's share of, of sports fans really want to watch when it when it happens live because it is sports, you know. So you don't know what's going to happen, and, and and you'll see some people say, well, sports is the last bastion of you know live television. And I don't know whether that's true or not, but I think for the most part, people want to see it as they happen. If they time shift it, they're going to start ten minutes after the fact so they can you know, time shift at certain points, you know, speed up when they want to. Um, so from that perspective, I, I don't think that's necessarily driving it, the idea that people want to time shift live sports. But I do think that people do want to watch it where wherever they are, and that's going to be the driving force. So the question is, does that happen five years or ten years? Um, and those are kind of the two windows we um, – we talk about, and I don't think we really have a, a a good answer. Could I tell you that I think we're going to be streaming all our content within five years? Geez, I hope it's sooner than that. 
but will the consumer dictate that within five years or ten years? Probably, but I don't think we we know exactly with certainty what that event horizon looks like. And it's very important as well, obviously, not just be able to consume games or whatever, but all Celtics content because engaging Celtics fans, Celtics, it's safe to say, have always been the fourth most popular team in New England. Let's say for argument's sake, all teams are competitive and whatnot, but the Celtics have always had, I would say, the fourth most popular fan base here locally in the region. However, they have by far the biggest national and worldwide following, following outside of New England. I don't think there's any shadow of a doubt, if you, especially if you want to use something as simple as Facebook likes as a way, yeah. to, it is a way to measure that. I think the Celtics sure. are like something like top five of any North American professional sports franchise, for that matter. So that actually really well, does... Well, I think that, um, Larry, I think that mirrors the NBA, to be truthful. I think from a global perspective, and, and I, you know, anecdotally... I think the NBA would rate, you know, higher globally in terms of, you know, social media following. There was an article on New Republic the other day about how the NBA owns Twitter and how many players have Twitter accounts and the percentage when you compare it to other leagues, and it's it's pretty impressive. Before we go, that's also going to be one interesting thing. It's sort of what I have really been looking at as we shift towards more towards an Internet 3.0 in the words of Ray Kurzweil, is professional athletes – they now, and not just professional athletes, but all sorts of celebrities, and as we all know now in the 2010s to 2020s, the word celebrity has certainly lost its luster. It seems like almost anybody's a celebrity now, but professional athletes can sort of almost do end runs around the media itself with Twitter, with being able to even do podcasts, even like, you know, blowing me mm-hmm. out of the water over here. What is sort of is that how sort of mainstream media outlets like Comcast? Well, it sets up an increasingly competitive environment. There's no doubt about it. And let's you know, let's talk specifically social media. Um, you know, we're trying to engage fans on the, you know the younger fans, particularly on social media, and you know, get as many followers as, as we can, so we can talk directly to them. And in some ways, that allows us, if we can, if we can build a database of a million followers, then you know, it reduces the need to spend necessarily off air to promote your product, right? So we could talk directly to them and maybe spend more efficiently. Um, by the same token, the players now, the leagues, the teams can, you know, go directly to the fans, and they don't necessarily need to use the media as a, a mediator of their content. Um, so we're all competing for the same, the same audiences, and it, you know what's important for us is, you know, we need to take fans who want to get to the Celtics through us as close as we can uh, to that action and give them access that they don't necessarily have themselves, knowing that the Celtics are out there doing the same thing on their accounts and the NBA is doing the same thing, and in some ways the players are. So it's a, it's a it's a highly competitive environment. Um, and we're, you know, truthfully, we're still we're still figuring it out. We just we just in September launched our um, our Snapchat channel um, and our uh, we've done Periscope Live. I mean, we've done Periscoping during the fourth quarter with Scal and Kyle. We just kind of migrated over to Facebook Live uh, using that platform, and that's pretty exciting as a way to engage Celtics fans right before the the post game show. And the thought being that. If we get someone to engage with us on Facebook in the minutes before the post-game show, then they're more vested and, and they're going to stay with the game after the game to watch our post-game show, and that's important. So that's an example of how we're trying to engage with viewers um, on, on, you know, using some new, new distribution platforms. And, of course, obviously the old staples itself, what we know we call Twitter and old staples. It's only been around since 2008, although 2008 is basically ancient history. It's the last time the Celtics won a championship. But Skip Perry, right. Director of Marketing, Comcast Sportsnet, New England. Check out the Twitter handles, at CSN Celtics. And, of course, the, the big dog, at CSNNE. Skip, hope you enjoyed your time here. Thanks, Larry. I appreciate it. We appreciate what you guys do over at Comcast with the great work the network does, not just by broadcasting the games, but giving fans ample amount of quality coverage both on and off the court. I know for years there were so many fans both in and out of the region who were starved, who craved Celtics coverage. They felt as if they were almost being ignored in a way. That's certainly not the case anymore. It hasn't been the case for years now. 
especially with the content Comcast puts out both in broadcast, print, and digital format. And I know I can speak for virtually every Celtics fan to say they appreciate the way the network is celebrating what many feel is their most hallowed team. So I speak for many when I say we all look forward to watching the series throughout the season, both on Comcast Sportsnet New England and CSNE.com. Want to break quickly here? I want to run our little announcement for our great ticket giveaway we are conducting throughout these entire months of 2016. We're giving away tickets to home Celtics games to a slew of contests throughout the entire second half of the season here, right up until April. And on the other side of the note, we will be joined by today's featured guest, Kristen Ledlow of NBA TV. Happy New Year, Celtics fans. As many of you know, Tick IQ and Celtics Beat are allowing our audience to win free tickets to upcoming Celtics games at the TD Garden. For a detailed list of all available games, such as the likes of Paul George and the Indiana Pacers or Paul Pierce and the Los Angeles Clippers, head on over to Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat. That's Facebook.com slash Celtics Beat to find out contest details and a list of games on having the opportunity to win free pairs of tickets to coming Celtics games in 2016. And if you want to purchase tickets to Celtics games or even Patriots playoff games, concerts, or your favorite team on the road, go ahead and download the Tick IQ mobile app. TIQIQ already has the cheapest tickets for all Boston sports. And now with their mobile app, you can save up to 10% more on tickets to any live event. You can set price alerts to be notified when tickets within your price range become available, as well as see all the top deals for games at the Garden, Gillette, and on the road. They aggregate ticket sellers on one platform and have the most competitive prices out there. Head to the Apple App Store to download the TIQ app and start saving today. That is TIQIQ. And use the promo code BOSTON for 10% off your first purchase. Hi, this is Brent Berry, and you're listening to Celtic Street on CLNS Radio. Brought to you by American Farmers Network to receive all the big benefits of small family farms and to eat healthy. Log on to AmericanFarmersNetwork.com. We've gone around the NBA and a lot less this year, which is a good thing. Celtics talk the last 12 to 13 months has been far more compelling, both for the listener, myself, and not just both for us, but our guests. I cannot remember the last time I've conducted an Around the NBA in Five segment on this show. I brought that in as a staple during that 2014 season. It was funny. For amusement purposes, I actually went back and clicked on a few shows in our iTunes archives from that season two years ago. Oh, my God. I tell you, anytime you think it gets bad now, just remember that year. I went through like five minutes of one podcast I did two years ago with Quinn Buckner, and I felt as if I was torturing myself. Like, my only light bulb moment was, this is so painful, we could use this to extract intelligence out of ISIS captives. Just thinking about those days was more painful than waterboarding itself. So, yeah, here goes me, of all people, to say that. Always remember perspective, because I'm as guilty as anyone sometimes getting caught up in certain lows, but gracious, just think for no more than three to five seconds late. No more for your, for your, you want to punish yourselves or go listen to our shows in our archives uh, in iTunes as well. And feel free to subscribe, most importantly. But uh, we aired that during the 2014 season, particularly the second half, just to think about how excruciating having to live through that season was. And then just imagine that there are numerous franchises in the NBA now that have to deal with that or that type of stuff. Season after season after season after season. Lord almighty, take me now. I know it's very trendy. It's it's so Boston. It is so Boston to say, ah, we're here to bring the glory to the honor to the parquet. It's all about the banners. It's all about Ban A team. Well, <laughs> yes, uh, no, no question the most rewarding aspect of being a fan is following the team through highs and lows and feeling like you're a part of the growing process and to see it culminate in a championship. It does bring emotional highs to anyone and the degrees are always measured in commitment from you as a fan throughout that time. 
championships and strings of competitiveness and give you even more of a reason to watch and even more of a reason to be happy and celebrate alongside with the team and live through those big games. But for me, as I've been doing this show now the last four years, we're getting up on four years doing this, February of 2013 is when we kicked things off, I think my new primary goal is to feel as if I'm not being tortured. And this year, while the product has gotten a little stale in mid-January and the team has kind of hit a small plateau here in their progression, still, be it following this team as a fan or now as a media member, it still does not feel like you've got jumper cables attached to your testicles like that first Brad Stevens season did. But uh, <laughs> sorry, sorry about that. Sorry. we, we uh, Let's... Let's restore a little civility to this show here. As promised, we will get our little monthly around the NBA fix in and got someone real good to go ahead and do that with NBA TV and Turner Sports, Kristen Ledlow, co-host of NBA Inside Stuff alongside Grant Hill. Kristen, we're going to start off with Milwaukee with Greg. I'm joking. No, I'm joking. General, <laughs> general NBA subjects on this show from time to time. Pretty much everything Fairly or unfairly, I guess. I guess unfairly if you're from San Antonio, but unfairly or fairly, consensus is it starts and ends with Golden State. So, uh, yeah, your thoughts. Well, we can talk Milwaukee if you want to, but no, if you prefer prefer to start at Golden State, it's been unbelievable what they've accomplished. And, and Stephen Curry said it so many times throughout that undefeated run and the undefeated start to the season that there was no championship hangover. You know, we saw so many times that a team will win a title and then they come out to kind of a rough start and, and you wonder where the pieces that are missing, what's the, the chemistry that, that's happening or how did it change since June? And that has not happened with this team. They've come out to an unbelievable start. It's been so much fun just to watch. Even if you're not a Warriors fan, you're witnessing basketball history. And so I feel like just as basketball fans, they've become a fun team for all of us to watch. I I was pretty important. I remember mentioning the same thing to Jim Barnett when we had him on the show. And I specifically mentioned what you did. You're right. Throughout really the last 20 years, it's been very fashionable to win a championship like the Spurs or the Pistons or the Lakers going back to last decade. And you're right, they would come out and they would just sort of coast along through the regular season and everyone would ask, like, oh, geez, what's wrong down in uh, Championship City-esque and X? And then they would turn it on in the postseason. And the Warriors, I guess, have sort of gotten – I mean, they did it last year as well. They won 67. And when they won 67, everyone was sort of like, well, they're not going to win a championship. And now that they have a championship under their belt, everyone's sort of just pegging them in right now for a second championship. But I do wonder really what is driving them so much. I guess maybe that once they get off to the, you know, once your first 10 to 15 games and the 70 win season starts, you know, the talk starts there. In your minds, because no, you've been around the team on the road with TNT. What do you think is sort of driving them to? I think it was a lot of the criticism they received after winning that title. It was they beat a Cavaliers team that was riddled with injury, and had they had Kyrie Irving and Kevin Love, it would have been a different story. That they they met along the way, kind of the quote luckiest matchups that they could have met all throughout the Western Conference playoffs. So a lot of times when we see a team win an NBA title, they come into the following regular season with nothing really to prove. You know, they're able to coast through the regular season, knowing that they have the pieces in place in order to make another championship run but with the Warriors they received so much overwhelming criticism after whether it was the media or or basketball fans or otherwise that potentially it was a lucky title so I think they came out with a chip on their shoulder and a lot of teams we don't a lot of times we don't see a championship team with a chip on their shoulder they have nothing left to prove but the Warriors I think felt like they still did so they wanted to come out and prove that it was not a fluke that it was not lucky that they didn't just happen to meet the right teams at the right time but they they were the best in the NBA and that they could do it again. So I think they've taken a chance to, to kind of prove that to all of us this season. I asked this to Jim as well. Do you think, though, going so hard in the early part of the season? I remember, obviously, me being here in Boston, of course, doing the Celtics show. That 08 Celtics team got off to a really good start. They were 27-2, and two and they went so hard. Now, granted, they had a, an older team, and they suffered a pretty big injury halfway through that season, and that pretty much whitewashed their season. Go all the way back to 1978. I'm sure you remember this, Kristen, when the Portland Trailblazers <laughs> got off to a very – they were something like 44 and 8 or whatever, and Bill Walton got knocked out with an injury. Could that – I mean, I don't want to say, oh, no, Steph Curry, he's had an injury, injury history. 
But I'm, I guess I'm sort of looking for any sort of negative aspect here regarding the Warriors. Is it a little – I mean, is this all-out mindset in the months of November, December, January, and possibly into February? Could that maybe slow them down, or am I just reaching up here? <laughs> I, I guess well, you, may, right. you, you may be reaching for something um, because the run they've been on has been incredible. But you know, when you're when you're mentioning a potential too hard, too fast, peak too soon uh, type situation, my mind immediately goes to the Atlanta Hawks last season. I, I mean, I, I yeah, I live in Atlanta, so we were here for all of just the. I mean, there was championship buzz in the city for the first time in a very long time. As you know, Atlanta is starved for a championship between the Falcons and the Braves, and you know, even the University of Georgia Bulldogs always kind of coming up short to at least Alabama. So we're looking for something down here, and the Hawks gave that to the Atlanta fan base last season, and and you know, we saw just a, a crazy run in January and and heading into February into that All Star break. We saw four guys up there at All-Star Weekend. We saw the NBA name for the first time ever, five players as its player of the month in January, and it was the entire Atlanta Hawks starting five. So you look at a run like that and you think, who can stop the Atlanta Hawks in the East? Well, we saw the best that they had to offer in December and January and February, and, and they were still playing very well heading into the playoffs, but that's exactly when the Cavs hit their peak, which is when you need to, in April and in May, and, and then you see them get sweeped in that Eastern Conference Final, and the Cavaliers inevitably go on to the NBA Finals. So that is something I think that people need to keep in mind. And, and that fans obviously could, should, would be concerned with. But if you're watching the Warriors right now, it's tough really to find a concern anywhere. Yeah, I think if I had to really guess, it could be a possible injury. Obviously, to Curry. When I talked to Jim Barnett, he, he said point blank, he said the only thing that's going to stop them is an injury to Curry or Draymond Green. I actually even personally think myself, they play with Bogut for a lot of last year, really throughout the uh, postseason. I remember before, in the beginning of the middle of the season, it was, ah, Bogut's always going to get hurt. And once they lose him, they're in trouble. But that wasn't the case whatsoever. But I think that would be the only team, which is kind of exasperating to say it, because San Antonio actually has a superior point differential to them. There were only three back in the loss column, which is unfathomable to think, because the Spurs, we mentioned teams priorly have, who have won championships or whatever, the Spurs have made a career or a franchise out of coasting through regular seasons. And now of all regular seasons, they are not coasting through. It's this one, and odds are it's not even going to be good enough for the one, number one seed. Well, and that's what's funny about it is because I think the, the Spurs are exactly where they want to be right now, which is not necessarily coasting through the regular season, but right under that Golden State Warriors radar. And, you not know? A and, and nobody's right. And nobody's, you know, nobody's really paying that close of attention to what the Spurs are doing as far as just the casual basketball fan. If if you're a casual basketball fan right now, you're thinking Warriors. You're thinking Cavs. And and so if you're looking at this and what the Spurs have accomplished thus far this season, still undefeated at home and, and to be, like you said, just three wins back is unfathomable of such an unbelievable start that the Warriors have produced. So I think they're where they want to be, but it wouldn't surprise me if we started seeing, not necessarily those guys coasting through these next couple of months, but if we see kind of the, the typical age-old pop choosing to rest these guys, especially the older ones, Tim Duncan, Tony Parker, Manu Ginobili, the guys that have done this year after year after year. And then we see a guy like Kawhi Leonard able to step up and really shine and potentially make an MVP run this season. So those are going to be the guys that, that kind of help carry them into these next couple of months. And, and then the older guys, the, the veteran guys, I believe is the term they prefer, uh, will get a chance to likely rest. Um, but it has been an incredible start for the San Antonio Spurs. And that's not necessarily what we're used to seeing, um, you know, this early in the season, but I, it wouldn't surprise me at all to see in these next couple of months them go back to that tried and true method of, of staying positive in the win column, but also rested and ready for the playoffs. Yeah, I actually remember talking to Brent Barry on this show right before the start of the season, and he said on this show that he really thought the Spurs were really going to go after it this season because they didn't, they were, they were said that they were not going to be a six seed again like they were last year, and they got right. a bad first round matchup, and that really, you know, screwed them. That's how. You know, you're talking about how Golden State had a pretty nice little coast ride there to the NBA Finals, mostly because they avoided the Spurs. Bones on this show before the season said he did not expect that whatsoever, that the Spurs were going to play a lot better so they could not be a six seed. Here they are as the number two seed. They're three games back. We all know historically, as you pointed out, they do like to rest players. They infamously rested their entire starting five when they had an NBA Finals rematch on TNT a couple of years ago. But what if... They, there's a game on NBA TV on the 25th 
Spurs and the Warriors, let's say the teams sort of hang around exactly where they are. They go into that game. San Antonio wins that game. All of a sudden, they're two back in the loss column. Do they actually maybe consider putting the pedal to the metal a little bit because they are undefeated at home, and home court advantage is going to be essential because that avoids playing, say, at Golden State for a seventh game. That could, I would say that could decide everything. Yeah, that's a great point by you. Um, you know, as far as the, the game on the 25th, when you think of it that way, it does seem like there are potentially Western Conference title implications on the line. You know, they're all going to give us the same kind of answers, which is that this is just another game, a regular season game on a whatever night of the week that it is. And, but you're right. When you look at it that way, if that could put them then two games back and, and you think ultimately maybe the Warriors, you know, winning ways will will kind of even out at some point, right? I mean, are we reaching? Maybe they won't, but you know, at some point you would think that that would kind of uh, it would slow down eventually and then and then you've got the Spurs sitting right up there as well. And if you're looking at potentially facing the Warriors in those Western Conference uh, you know, finals, I think that the home court advantage could be vital. And like you said, we saw that last season with them and, and sitting in that sixth seed. And then you're, you don't have a home court advantage at all, you know, throughout the playoffs. But I think if they're looking at it within reach, if you're looking at the end of this month and you've got just a couple of games back that you are, as far as the deficit goes with the Warriors, I don't know. It's tough to think the way that the Spurs think. Yeah, I think um, they will. I you think you, so. You said not only is it vital, I think it could very well decide the series. Golden State has such a superior home court advantage, probably the best home court advantage we've seen in the NBA, maybe going back all the way to the Celtics playing at the Old Garden in the 80s with Bird. Yeah, you want to avoid... They haven't lost at home. The Spurs haven't lost at home. It very well could come down a home court advantage, and maybe winning a few more regular season games could be worth it. And also this year as well, Pop has a little more flexibility with the depth of his roster. I mean, he can he can rest Duncan, but he doesn't have to sit him out. He can maybe play him 15 minutes in a game because, you know, you got LaMarcus Aldridge and you got right. other players as well. So I, I don't know. If I'm going to make a prediction there, I do think that if the Spurs win that game on the 25th, putting them hypothetically two back in the loss column, let alone, God forbid, if Golden State does end up losing a game and they do play the Cavs tomorrow night on TNT, which I know you're going to be at, God forbid if that's one game back in the loss column, I, that makes the regular season interesting, which is good because how many times throughout the years have we sort of lamented the fact that the NBA doesn't have those regular season Peyton Manning, Tom Brady like matchups where, you know, that decides home field advantage in the playoffs or whatever. And here we are in the NBA might very well get one on the 25th. Yeah, well, and you want to avoid Oracle Arena at all costs in the playoffs. But I think the Warriors would also like to avoid playing in San Antonio in a Game 7. So, you know, you actually may have talked me onto the other side of this, thinking Good. that perhaps in the next couple of months we could see the Spurs in a very unlike Spurs fashion, like you said, put the pedal to the metal in the regular season. Um, not that they haven't already thus far. The fact that they're doing as well as they are just is not by any means, say, coasting. But, but that's a great point by you. Oh, thank you very much. I appreciate it. You always <laughs> learn so much here on Celtics Beat. I actually sort of harken back to a conversation when I mentioned Brent Barry's name. One of the questions how, how this conversation got all started when he told me that he expected the Spurs to really put the pedal to the metal before the season to make sure they're not going to be a six seed again. I actually started the question off by asking him, Bones, do you think that this is the best Spurs team ever? And that's obviously asking a question to him that really hits home because he, right. was, he was on two of their championship teams. But, you know, for a little, for argument's sake, for fun, has this been probably the best Spurs team you've seen in the last, what is it, it's been 17 years since that infamous, you know, Duncan lottery? Did, what, what did Bone say? That was when he went like, blah, 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 blah. Right. Know, blah. And then it, <laughs> but then that's how, when he mentioned about this, you know, that I do think they're going to be a little more aggressive in the sixth seed. We'll see on right. paper. Are they most talented? Yes, but that's what, yeah. I mean, but right. he, gave well, me a little, he gave me a pretty political answer. I figured. I, well, I, I was interested to know what he would say and if he would kind of give up those greatest spurs of all time rights to the, the newbies. Um, I was just interested to know if he would, in fact, do so. But, um, yeah, I mean, goodness, when you look from top to bottom, if they're not, then they're close as far as the best Spurs teams that we've seen. Let's say just even in the last five championships that Tim Duncan has been a part of. Think about those teams from top to bottom. And now, like you said, you know, this isn't just that veteran leadership in those, you know, the big three that we've seen in the last decade. This now is the acquisitions of LaMarcus Aldridge, who is a veteran that can get you a double-double on any given night. You know, the guy that can go out there and, 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 and knock down the three at this point is, well. I mean, good night. How's that, how does a guy that big add the three-pointer to his 
to his wheelhouse as well, you know, and then adding a veteran like David West. And then you've got these young guys. Like I said, Kawhi Leonard is putting together an MVP campaign right in front of our eyes, but we're not really talking about it because he doesn't really like to be talked about. You're not really so, talking about it. You just had Charles right. Barkley last night call him the best. I, I, I don't know if he was. I don't know Apart what he was doing. Apart from well, Charles, okay, yes. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Outside said, of that, which I guess right. is a big one. <laughs> yeah, it's funny because I was in our office last night when, when he said it. I, I call it an office. Obviously, it's our, our enormous network. Um, but when he said that, it, did he say, am I right in hearing that? Did he say that Kawhi could be the greatest player of all time? Or did he say the greatest spur of all time? He said greatest player, didn't he? But he said best player in the world. And then I think Kenny Smith there followed it is. up with... Uh, you know, you sure oh, stop Steph it. Curry yeah. and LeBron right. James. Yeah. And he said, he was talking about, you know, offense and defense. Right. Like, I mean, it's I like, did we, see we know that. that <laughs> right. That Charles did say that if he were to start a franchise at Kawhi's age, that's who he would take. That's who he would start his franchise with. And, you know, if you're looking at it, that's actually a pretty good call. No, I would, I would have no issue with LeBron James or Anthony Davis. I know Kawhi Leonard is <laughs> having a great season, but I mean, come well, on. He's at his age, yeah, but Anthony Davis is what, also like 24. 13 and a half. So. Yeah, I, yeah, okay, there you go. Right, Younger than us. <laughs> yes. Martin Luther King Day has always been one of the showcase days for the NBA. Obviously, Christmas is the big one, but pretty much 90% of the league is active tomorrow. I know there are a slew of matinee games, and NBA TV has a match of itself at 5 p.m. tomorrow between the Atlanta Hawks and the Orlando Magic. But TNT, huge doubleheader. We all know about the finals rematch, Golden State, one week before the blockbuster matchup next Monday night on NBA TV has to kind of hold serve and win in Cleveland. By the way, isn't it funny how we, or I guess me, since I'm the one bringing this discussion along here on this show, but we've said virtually nothing regarding Cleveland throughout this whole chat, even though they're a dead mortal lock for the finals. But huge doubleheader tomorrow night, the finals rematch, see if Golden State can continue to chase history and is now, as bizarre as it sounds, fend off San Antonio here. And you will be in Los Angeles for a little playoff rematch with the Rockets and the Clippers, who, safe to say, got their season back on track. And guess what? You are also the co-host of NBA Inside Stuff with fellow paleo dieter Grant Hill. That's how I now uh, know him as now, you know, not former NBA player. Yes. Fellow paleo dieter is how I acknowledge Grant Hill. Well, yeah, that wasn't even what I was going to say. I was going to say that it's my birthday, but oh. but yes, also that. Yeah. <laughs> it will be my birthday on Monday night, so I'm trying to figure out how exactly to bring that into the TNT broadcast. I mean, should I do it? Should I not? No, I probably should do it. So there's got to be a smooth way to do it, and I've been exploring options in the last couple of weeks. Well, we'll ask our audience to kindly spam you on Twitter then, if that means anything. Yeah, absolutely. I was kind of thinking, you know, post-game, I've got the sideline interview with Chris Paul and just wishing him a happy birthday. And then when he corrects me and tells me it's not, I'll say, really? I thought you and I had the same birthday. Uh, that's a, that's a that's a good way. I mean, that's pretty that's pretty smooth. That that is very good, especially if, for me. Because whenever I do it, Happy Fourth of July, I always look at people like they have five heads. How dare you? It's my birthday today. <laughs> oh, you were born on the Fourth of July? Yeah, that's a good one. But uh, <laughs> that's a good you one. can see Kristen on new episodes of Inside Stuff every Saturday at six thirty p.m. Eastern on NBA TV, as well as the game Monday night. And you can follow Kristen on Twitter at Kristen Ledlow. Kristen, thanks so much for stopping by. Thanks for having me. Look at that. Out of time. Around the NBA with Kristen in like 18, but the NBA, very Warriors and Spurs centric. Are there other contenders? Thought this would be a great week to get that in because there are a slew of big and rare, very rare for the NBA in mid-January to have games that are going to tell us a lot. With the Warriors going to Cleveland tomorrow night. Cleveland, if they're in the picture or they think they are in terms of winning a championship, we know they're going to win the Eastern Conference. I'd like to think they need to come up with a home win there tomorrow night. So we're going to learn a lot in these next 8 to 10 days here with a doubleheader tomorrow night on TNT. Leading all the way up to the blockbuster matchup on NBA TV on Monday the 25th between the Warriors and the Spurs. That's tomorrow. This is now. You hear the music rolling. So you know what that means. That is going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, DJ DS, Joshua Morse, Chuck Dietz, and Steph the Grateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat. 
and you can like Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. And do not forget the ticket giveaways. All details are listed on the Facebook page. Again, facebook.com backslash Celtics Beat. It's a pin post, so don't come crying to me telling me you didn't see it. We pinned it at the tippity-tippity-top. Like to thank our guests, Kristen Ledlow and Skip Parham, as well as our sponsors, American Farmers Network and Tick IQ, for making this all possible. For our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, program director, Nick Gelso, and myself, the executive producer and host of Celtics Beat, I am Larry H. Russell. See you next Sunday for another edition of Celtics Beat exclusively on CLNS Radio. 